0: Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability, and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. My guest is Anna Mahon, founder of BrewGooder, a craft beer company that's backed by a mission to bring clean drinking water to one million people. Just three months after its launching its flagship-style clean water lager in 2016, BrewGooder became the first social enterprise brand to gain a national listing with Asda. Alan was also recognised as a Big Issue Top 100 Changemaker in 2018 and is an Obama Foundation Young European Leader. A true social entrepreneur, Alan is involved in a number of projects, including the Scottish High Street Sandwich chain that employs trains and houses the homeless and vulnerable. And in 2019, he launched the world's big sleep out which aims to bring together 50,000 people across 50 cities globally to help fight homelessness on an international scale. As you'll hear, this is just a small slice of the projects Alan is involved in. As founders, a lot of us have the intention to use our businesses for good, and many of us do, but Alan is on this at a whole different level. And my hope is that by the end of this podcast, you'll be inspired to think of ways to get involved in more projects and use your own influence for good. So in this podcast, Alan talks about using QR codes to create a community and make the consumer's social impact more apparent.
1: Hopefully that can provide a level of transparency, a level of just wow, six months ago I drank beer and now this has happened.
0: Reveals his first makeshift attempt at brewing beer.
1: Our first attempt was me just brewing it really kind of in a bathtub
0: and give some great advice for all entrepreneurs, no matter where they are on their journey.
1: And I think that that's kind of the big, the big thing that you have to sort of stop comparing yourself to other people and realize that what you're doing is, is pretty unique and pretty special.
0: If you want to learn more about Evolve and the services that we offer, our forthcoming events, and also our coaching and development programs for you and your teams, then please go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Please note, we did record this episode remotely and there were a few technical issues, but please do bear with it because there is some great and insightful content within the discussions and the insights that Alan shares with us. Alan, welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks for having me on, appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's great to have you on the podcast and I'm really looking forward to learning more about Brugada, and you know you have this uh brewed on purpose is is your kind of trademark and 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 what you say Brugada is all about and i want to listeners to find out all about that but let's find out a bit about your story first alan and as i understand it the Brugada all started with a trip to nepal in 2012 so T- tell us a bit more
1: uh yeah i guess um the sort of Origins of it um, were, were definitely there. I, I spent about four years in uni, absolutely loved um, every bit of it, the social aspects, the learning my course. And I didn't really give much thought to what I kind of wanted to do after um, university. And I did some sort of summer projects. One of them was volunteering in, in, um, in Nepal, in a sort of international development student volunteer program. And whilst I was there, um, I kind of got sick from an unsafe water source. Um, tummy just wasn't working right. Um, things were, weren't as they, you know, basically I had a pretty pronounced deli belly, if you like. It kind of rip, rip it off as, you know, maybe the food's yeah. a bit too spicy, all that sort of stuff. So you can draw your own conclusions. But anyway, I had to come home um, at one point and get tests done just to see what. You know the actual problem was in terms of that I had a parasite and I got a prescription um from the doctor went next door to the chemist and um, got metronidazole a really really commonly prescribed drug and within a week or so I was kind of like back on my feet and everything was normal and I could just go on with being I guess a young guy and trying to yeah. find a job post uni etc but I think one of the things that really stuck with me I guess was that. I had been born on the same, you know, 30th of April of 1990, the same day as people who wouldn't maybe have made it past their fifth birthday. And if it did, it wasn't like everything was plain sailing after that. There was definitely barriers to social progress, education, um, economic progress that kind of hampers communities and traps and cycles of poverty. And that really stuck with me. And I tried for the best part of a year to get a job in the international development sector in water in particular i applied for a government job and went through six or seven months of different um, tests and to make sure that i could add and read and write and interact with other people and when they put this in our graduate assessment day i guess um, i must have flunked it because i they gave the job to, to somebody else, or give the, the roles <laughs> to other people, and um, and that kind of set me back. And I thought maybe this this actually wasn't for me, and um, and then I did end up getting a job in a friend's sort of startup cafe, if you like, um, and it was called Social Bite, and it's quite famous, I guess, in in, um, in Scotland. It might not be to, to most of your your listeners, but mm-hmm. it's essentially a cafe that started with. Um, suspended food and coffee so people could pay forward coffee and uh, and hot food items for homeless people and vulnerable people to come and sort of take it um, okay. as they wish and that sort of grew into quite a well-known sandwich chain and, and coffee catering company in scotland but then also morphed into actually a really fully fledged housing charity and homelessness charity we ended up building villages in, in Edinburgh. and um, we started a housing first programme, loads of really, really cool stuff. Amazing. And that exposure, I guess, showed me that you could build something that was quite cool and it could give back, but also, you know, it could be a project like business, you know, the all the yeah. traditional things that make business really, really exciting and then make brands really cool that people like really interact with. Um and at the same time I was going from effectively a student to per graduate I was getting a regular <laughs> check if you like or, or, um, or my salary and it was pretty modest and I didn't have much suspended on other than good food and good coffee uh, and so for me I you know 23 years old or whatever stumbled upon you know craft beer everyone was super excited by it everyone mm-hmm. was you know raving about new styles new breweries you know the American brewery that they picked up a can of or the, the brewery that's just down the road in Edinburgh And I saw this portal dynamic that you could almost use people's willingness to try new things within that category, within that industry. Um, And the sort of social power that it kind of provoked, I always noticed that beer was kind of a a thing you do for strangers to you know welcome them you know i'll grab you a beer you yeah. know sit there you know whatever it's a social um, thing isn't
0: it you it, get to it, know people and yeah it,
1: exactly and it was it's the, even in the most masculine of cultures in the uk when you buy your mate a pint it's a sort of you know i love you man type type yeah. approach to it so i thought that there was something inherently social within beer and i thought well i i, I, I would like to see myself in this industry and um, i think it was cool I and mean, it would motivate me and then I would like to tie it into something that I genuinely care about, which was which is water, um, and people. I guess you know, show yeah. helping other people to to thrive. I guess was, was was something that was underlying that. And I just put them together in the concept of of, of brewer, yeah. Um, and yeah, the rest is is the subject of this the rest
0: of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. and you look now, back now with that kind of hindsight and just think about circumstance. And, you know, if it had not been for the trip to Nepal and the, the experiences with the parasite in the water and then that engagement with Social Bite, post-university, you wouldn't be where you are now. Or do you think you're always destined from an early age to A, start your own business and B, do something with purpose or something for good? Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems quite articulate now that that journey really yeah. has been gone on. But A I, jigsaw I def-
0: comes together quite well now. <laughs> yeah, it? no, but like in... in, in
1: you know, at the time, it was, I, I think, just a, a, a fortune, you know, or, uh, um, you know, good good luck and taking chances and, and stuff. But I guess that, like, brewing is super idiosyncratic, right? And it's, um, or at least it started that way. It's evolving into something, I think, hopefully much more all-encompassing. But, you know, it was basically, I like beer. I had a water experience. I can, you know, I put those two things together. And that's actually not a scalable you know business idea i don't think i mean the fact that we're still here is and under the business model that we have is, is still quite remarkable but those sliding door moments kind of add up into into what it is now and have given me the runway to to try and go beyond it, its its humble roots but i guess i've always loved bit like the idea of business and, and brands in particular and um, rather than just you know profit making machines things that people interact with i think is quite cool and, my first exposure to that was when I was younger. Um, we had a canteen in our school, and the fridge was just a, a cupboard, basically. It wasn't actually a fridge that was turned okay. on at lunchtime, so every mm-hmm. bottle of juice that you got was was warm. And I realized that there was this... Um, we stumbled me and my friend stumbled on the fact that if you froze a certain type of like i think it was called the, the brand was bpm it was like an energy drink for kids and i'm pretty sure it's banned now but it was like back in in an hour where i grew up it was quite a popular drink yeah um, and if you froze it it turned into a slushie it was absolutely delicious and it was sold in our canteen for a pound or whatever and i thought you know what if i buy loads of these um you know, when they're on offer in the shop and I, yeah. I freeze them and bring them in and sell them for a pound. You know, I could make a bit of money and could And actually that lasted for about two or three weeks until the sort of uh, treasurer of the school called me in and says, you, you got to stop doing this basically. <laughs> um, which I thought was just interesting rather than this is, you know, what can we learn from you that people are buying, you know, it was actually, stop that creativity. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I think I was never and in school exposed to it formally like we did business studies and stuff but like yeah. entrepreneurship was never a word that was was around even though actually when i look back at it that was some of the traits that were, that were happening yeah. i guess within myself i always thought because of the way i was brought up and i guess because of my mom's example in particular like the idea of working for other people is quite fulfilling like so she was yeah. nhs um, she just, you know, used her spare time to look after kids um, that had like special needs and, and, and all these types of things. And I, I just thought that was quite natural. And I think that the ability, the way the economy went, if you like, post-2008, where actually things weren't certain, mm-hmm. that actually opened up a space for me to kind of do something that I quite enjoyed, like naturally, for reasons that, you know, were beyond just the make it of money. Um, and then... You know, in a time where you, if you took a risk and it didn't work out, you're probably no worse off, really, um, from uh, you know not getting a job in, in, in banking or, or whatever was. You're a go, off, yeah. You go. Know, yeah. It can
0: go wrong. What's the worst case scenario you, at that point? Yeah. I suppose, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I always say like social entrepreneurship or purpose driven entrepreneurship. Like it's a, it's a huge you know unlimited upside. Like if you get it right, you are able to you know, impact not only your own life, but, you know, the lives of Teddy, tens, hundreds, thousands of other people. And if you get it wrong, you learn a lot about yourself and a lot about your own skills. So it's kind of like a win-win scenario. So yeah, lots of sliding doors moments that probably, you know, pulled at threads that I have probably already had.
0: Definitely. And if perhaps we should turn, you know, come back to the story, because I want to talk about those early days, but perhaps we should yeah. touch now on that kind of the slogan of brood on purpose. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've touched on the fact that it's, you know, it's the water, it's the contamination, it's all of those things. But what does brood on purpose really mean in terms of brew good?
1: Ultimately, brood on purpose for us is something that we realised about five years into the journey, if you like. Um, it was probably there all along, but it was inarticulate because there wasn't the buzz around the term purpose or, you know, what's your why, what's your purpose that kind of is percolating and is probably coming to the fore a lot with, with really established markets and really established companies and part of it was that we had always brewed beer for the purpose of effectively empowering people's lives and I think that, that is the, that's always been there with, with breeder and it hasn't had to be retrofitted so every single beer we've brewed has effectively been done you know, for the right reasons. So, yeah, so Brewed on Purpose is essentially our way of capturing that. Um, and I think Purpose yeah. is going to come to the fore for, you know, in every industry, including beer. But there are a lot of breweries, you know, particularly really big ones that are retrofitting it. Like they were always this or that, even though, yeah. you know, we can see and consumers can see that they weren't. So for us, it's just our way of saying we started this way. We're probably never going to leave this path. Um, and that's our way of, of really southern up, I guess. And how we do that is... By Ensuring that for every pint of beer we sell, we make sure 100 pints are unlocked on a clean water project in one of 22 countries around the world. So that's quite a change from where we started, which was 100% of our profits went into clean drinking water projects. And over the first two or three years, that was great. You were over indexing in the amount of work that you were yeah. effectively allowed to carry out. But what happened around coronavirus was actually the the pandemic is that well how can you continue to make profits if your industry has been massively disrupted and so we thought well if we have to grow out of a period of unprofitability why would we not put you know the the impact of that first and make sure that we know that every can is contributing to an outcome rather than you know in three years time we'll be able to to make a generous donation and a check to to a water charity so for us that whole journey about understanding our purpose about understanding who we were and how we could do things better was actually accelerated by by the pandemic which i'm sure is probably calling for for lots of business owners
0: as well i think a lot of businesses because of the covid pandemic have pivoted haven't they and they've developed and they've evolved and they've had to sort of pivot but i suppose for you that's been an interesting change, isn't it? Because that's a really clear message, isn't it? That you've now got, you know, a lot of yeah. businesses say, you know, all of our profits go to good cause. But what does that really mean if you've got a stated aim? And now and I suppose in a certain kind of way, it enables you to grow sustainably as well, doesn't it? Because you know that's your cost and therefore yeah. you can grow, generate profits, reinvest them in, build a bigger business, do more good.
1: Well, that's it. I mean, that, that bit at the end is probably the most important aspect of it in, in that, you know, what you're investing will in, into the business, into the growth of the business by nature of that 100X principle, if you like, yeah. will then go on to create much more much more impact and almost, you know, on an accordion, if you, you, you start here, it starts to pull out and, and become really, really big. Yeah. But I think that the clarity and the transparency of it is the bit that we – are most excited about because you know, if you were to drink a burger beer three years ago, you might not have been able to actually say what you did in that process, mm-hmm. even if we give away a million pounds, you know, or yeah. a pound, you know, you wouldn't be able to say this is my contribution. Whereas now we have we made a bet, I guess, that's kind of hopefully paying off that we would adapt really old fashioned QR codes onto our um onto our packaging which we made look a little nicer than the, just the black and white stuff but um, that you could scan on your phone and that would effectively log your contribution from your can or your pint and that that would then be logged and we would let you know exactly when and where your your water was going to be um, was going to be unlocked which I think is really cool and, it, and hopefully that can provide a level of transparency a level of just wow six months ago I drank a beer and now this has happened that's really cool and then hopefully that, creates a community, uh, you know, a set of values which people can, can revolve around and eventually people will be talking to each other as brugher and drinkers, not just to us about unlocking water.
0: But that, but that is amazing. I love that. I love that connection. That As you know, as a consumer, I can engage and I can understand, you know, what the social enterprise is doing and what it's doing as a result of my purchase, because I think there is, yeah. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there is a challenge with social enterprises sometimes that the consumer lacks trust. Mm-hmm. Now, they want to buy from a social enterprise, but they're not sure how socially minded or what purpose there is and what good comes out of the back end of their kind of consumer choice. Would totally, you agree uh,
1: with that? I, I, I would agree with that. I, I think there's also an added bias or an added sort of complication where there's an automatic assumption that it must be poorer quality or inferior in some way, um, which I think we hope to, to sort of overcome significantly. And um, the more beer we brew, the more people get exposed to our beer. But I think yeah, there's a sort of wishy washiness of you know what does that mean and you know what's your definition. And listen, it's one that we um faced and, and hopefully mm. have overcome. But you know I can say hand over heart, you 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 know when we when we started Brugger, I I didn't know what exactly we would end up doing, really, you know what I mean? I, I had a vision for it and I had an aspiration and by hook or by crook we eventually started to get moving in that direction. But I think if you if my advice to a social entrepreneur now or a purpose driven entrepreneur now um would be find out how your cost of good, as we call it, is, is scalable and is understandable. Because without those two things, you're not going to go far, and you're going to be treading water for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that we've cracked the code or anything yeah. like that. There's much more successful, socially minded businesses than, than us. But you know, it's definitely the biggest learning that, you know, I think if you said you know, the locker, the the sliding doors, you know, if I could go back and rearrange the jigsaw, it would be it would look completely different. But you know, yeah. that's the value of hindsight, I guess.
0: That's hindsight, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And so you talk about that, so what were those original aspirations you know in those very early days because I, as i understand it you were working trying to craft beer i mean how did you come up with your own beer in the first place perhaps we should start there but what were the aspirations
1: for us the original aspiration was to bring a million people clean drinking water mm. and that was great that was super motivating but you know it's a long way off i guess and you made little you know increases from you know 2000 to Ten thousand to, to 60,000 people, but part of me didn't like the fact that we were treating people as KPIs. Feel like, or you know, something for us to measure our success. When these were people's lives and the empowerment of people's lives was was all that it was about. So the move for us into unlocking water, as opposed to impacting people's lives directly, did two things. I guess it took that commodification out, of it, but also realised that you know we're not the cause of any further success that happens or development that happens, you know, we're just part of part of it, a really small part of the journey. So we've moved into wanting to bring a billion leaders in the next, um, in the next five years to communities to, to help them empower themselves, really. But more so beyond that, like one of the, the you know, we talked about Brood on Purpose being um, being the strap line, if you like. One of the other things that we have is that we're people positive beer. So we've done other things, I guess, in the past year that have broadened our aspirations. That we said, yeah, we could, you know, in theory, bring a million people or unlock a billion liters of water. But what would it mean to be like a truly people positive beer brand? Uh, at the same yeah. time, when when planet positivity is is a massive thing within the industry at all at all levels, and part of me thinks that there's lots of you know big companies that care about the planet in order to, I guess, save the the status quo if that makes mm-hmm. sense whereas for us there's no point in saving the world if you can't use that opportunity to build a more equitable society i guess or um you know yeah. a fair world let's just put it mm-hmm. so
0: and i so, think that's about isn't it is that's about having proper true social purpose and social responsibility or just doing it because you think there's extra sales to be gained
1: yeah, or yeah, or or just the, the preservation of of, of what yeah, is good position. Yeah. Yeah, or like just even personal wealth. I, I just think that there needs to be a different way of approaching it and, and how we've approached it, we kind of again fell into it. So one of the first things we did in, in People Positivity, if you like, was to um at the start of the the first lockdown in March twenty twenty we kind of sat as a team and said, listen, if we're going to go on there, let's go on there with a bang, let's try and raise, uh, you know, a round for the the NHS workers. Uh, And we launched a, a sort of campaign called one on us where we said, we'll, we'll sell our beer and delivery in four packs at cost price. And you can gift these to an NHS worker An NHS worker can come online, enter their details. Have a beer sent to them. You can leave a little note that says, "You know, thank you for thank you. what you're doing at this at this time," and that was really successful, right? People, you know, we took that opportunity and we facilitated, and I think twenty eight thousand beers were distributed across the UK, which is awesome. And some of the some of the like the the cards that we got printed from people's um, little uh, you know messages were really heartwarming at a time where mm-hmm. you know it was it was it was pretty awful. And then as time went on last year we started to try and go on a journey to be a more inclusive and equitable and diverse workplace and brand and you know we're getting moving in that direction slowly but surely so i think the idea of being people positive and to try and make as much difference at home and abroad as possible um in a scalable way is definitely what we're all about in terms of our aspirations now we haven't you know we haven't called that something or, or, or we don't know what that looks like when we're there. We just know that if you
0: keep moving in that direction that that's a yeah, positive thing. It, it, yeah, it's it, it's going to show you the road on which to travel as it were.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Definitely. So let's, let's talk about the, um, the beer story then. So Ooh. how did you actually go about creating your okay. own beer? Uh yeah, so Back in half, 2014, 15, something like that f- was it?
1: Fifteen, yeah. So um our first attempt was me just brewing it really kinda in of a bathtub style homebrew <laughs> operation. And I'm not very my attention to details is absolutely awful. So I brewed a thousand bottles of, of Claymore Lager version, version one, three hundred of them exploded in my living room, the other seven hundred t- awful and um, and yeah and i realized that actually this wasn't probably the way for me to go in that respect so i just wrote off to the guys at brew dog and said listen you've got a big brewery can i use some of the space in that they said yeah if you want to um we, yeah we went up there and we brewed our first ever logger with them and then we just adopted effectively a um a contract brew model which is something that's actually quite common within the industry but it means that we don't have our own brewery we use the excess capacity of other brewers and to date we've collaborated with about 150 different brewers across the world in different size projects some really small batch some of our core beers so we've got three or four different brewing partners across the uk like of four pure williams brothers and um, we've worked with the guys that look fierce and Aberdeen a lot and then we've actually worked with loads of other brewers so we've always come to brewing if you like almost within the same spirit of of how I thought of brewing is that I just love the industry it's great to be able to work with really talented people in, in different um, parts of the world and different parts of the UK and who are good at making different types of beer so that whole journey has been one where intuitively I've worked with Brewers at different breweries, they effectively say, "This is what I want this to taste like. This is the quality I want to, to come through." And you know, Clutchwood, that that's always been something that that we've Brilliant. we've always had in the bank, which is which is great.
0: Which is a new way of working, again, isn't it? I suppose in the last 10-15 years, more businesses have outsourced product manufacture and product yeah. development and focused on their purpose. You know, be that growth and be that you know for financial reward or for social purpose, but. It gives you the ability to play to your strengths and your team's ability too, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, totally. And listen, we could we could reinvent the capacity that's there, but for me, it's much greener to just work with existing um, infrastructure. And yeah. I'm not precious. I don't have to own the brewery in order for it to be authentic and genuinely our beer. You know, every beer that's in the market, from from our point of view, is ever. know we've put a lot of trust in our collaborations with other breweries Mm. but when it comes to our own product you know we definitely shaped and crafted you know every single can of that if you like from uh, Mm. a recipe point of view but the beauty of it is you get to work with really great partners um who can who can lift you know do the heavy lifting in some areas but at the end of the day we have to go out and sell it and when we sell it we need to make the impact so you know it's a it's a it's a nice model to operate and, and one that i hope can and grow with us. I think there's businesses like Feed Retreat, for example, who've never had their own yeah. production capacity, but you've never questioned them. But I think there is at certain levels of the industry, you know, maybe you're a foaming, maybe you're not really in the in, in crowd if you like, if you don't yeah. have that. And um, and that's always been a chip on the shoulder that we've we've kind of had but as we've grown up and matured a lot that we've kind of got
0: over yeah. it. Yeah. It's interesting. It was different it's different skill sets, isn't it? I suppose it's a different way in which you approach the market. And I think a lot okay. of business owners have that, don't they? You approached it with this: "I love craft beer. This is what I want to do, but I want to do it with a purpose." Yeah. If you had come at it from, you know, I've got a degree and I know how in brewing and I know how to brew, and that I'm, my passion is brewing beer, mm-hmm. well, you would to come at it from the more the craft beer perspective and then thought about what the outcome may be. So yeah, it's outcome driven, it, isn't it, I think? is Yeah, it,
1: it means that we get to work with lots of people like that, you know, more than we would if we only hired one or two, two brewers. Mm. And I think that's one of the privileges of, of being able to do brewers, that you're working with people who, you know, it would, it would be very hard to work with in, in, a, in a different way of doing things.
0: So what are the challenges did you face and have you overcome in the years since you started Brewbredder?
1: Um, I think the business model has been the one that's, the, that's been the biggest challenge and um, for me it's something that we've worked hard at to, to make sure that it, it can grow and it doesn't have a, an endpoint. that's you know within five or ten years it can be something that could last for, mm-hmm. forever in essence and I think that's been the biggest challenge. I think the other challenges are just you know finding a, a voice that's yours within the market. I mean mm-hmm. We kind of started off from a, from a branding point of view in particular as, you know, this we look the same, kind of sound the same as, mm. as pretty much everybody else. And actually, over the past year, we've kind of found a more down-to-earth tone of voice that we actually, it was, was our voice all along, and we're not, I don't think we're pretending to be something else to fit in with the rest of the market. We realized actually we're, we're pretty unique, I guess. And that we are comfortable in that, um, and I think that's been probably the biggest psychological challenge um, that we faced, as well as just b- being resourced. You know, the average team size over the past five years has been two and a half people. You know, if you were to average that out, and I think that that you like that really, really makes you you you're sort of tired and burnt out, and and me and G had been working pretty much flat out for a pandemic and he was based in Glasgow and hadn't seen him and still weird to, to, to see him in, in the flesh and you know we just needed a break and we brought on people yeah. we are much more talented than us much more experienced than us in, in various different things and actually it's changed just our whole outlook on the future because it's not him and I just just doing that anymore and um, which is great and now we can look to, to, to bigger things
0: yeah, I've seen you, you know, just some of your feeds, you know, your social feeds, I've seen you've really scaled the team recently, but that's one of the challenges any entrepreneur or business owner faces, isn't it? Is there's a point where you've got to do it all, and there's yeah. a point where you then can no longer do it all, but you've got to let go, but can you afford that investment in the people that will do it better than you?
1: Yeah, totally, and one of the differences is that is for most of the first five years, we, James and I, were were... You know, with the exception of probably one person, with the oldest team members and the oldest age of the team, tracked our age. So like twenty five to, you know, what thirty. And now the balance has almost shifted the other way. You know, with the young guys, and we're we're there to learn. Um, and we've hired some people who are just operators of of, of different experience and, and, and magnitude from us. And we'll always drive the energy and you know put the gas in the tank for everybody else to to move. But ultimately they're much more proficient than we are and and, and actually the letting go has been the easiest bit in the world because the team that I let go to do what I was doing really really poorly really really well and what I wasn't able to spend enough time on doing well the skills that I have I've now been freed up to to do that and occasionally you know talk about it on on a podcast as well
0: yeah Cool. But it, you know, there's takes some self realisation to know that you need to start to play to your strengths and get the timing of that right, Alan. So that's definitely something you should compliment yourself on. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I think when you talk to anybody that runs a consumer goods company uh, is how do you get the product in market? What's their route to market? And you seem to have done an incredible job, particularly within a, a, a small team in in building that distribution model. Um, You know, you're distributed throughout the country in the co-op stores mm-hmm. you know what any tips and hints that you'd give anybody that's you know looking to build that distribution channel with a consumer product
1: yeah i think if i were to this the business again I would, I would do it in a very very different way but i'm not saying that i'm not grateful for the way that we've, we've built mm-hmm. it if that makes sense um i think if you're making a consumer product the beauty of it is that if it's good quality and if it's nicely presented and you can move it around the country easily, then actually the market for what you do is effectively limited by the number of consumers. And I think C yeah. has a way to build a route to market, a customer base to understand them and do it in a way that's potentially you know under your control or, or you know more high margin to invest back into growing yeah. that is an incredible way to, to, to be able to build a business plan And there was e-commerce when we started End. There wasn't, but it wasn't I never I, I grew it if you like intuitively. Like I don't go online to buy a beer. You know, I go to the bottle shop, I go to, you know, the, a retailer, I go to a bar. And therefore how do we get into these bars? And, and a lot of it has been through partnerships with with big bar chains. Um lots of it has been um you know the the supermarket well the retailer success convenience retailer success that we've had with co-op and for me it was about identifying i think quite early on especially with the co-op that we were quite aligned like in, in a value sense not just in a selling and commercial sense you know they were increasing their range they wanted to bring in brands that were that had social value at its heart and for me i I think realised early on that if we partnered with these guys, we could do some really really cool things, and I think we're in the, the process of having I think four beers on shelf across the country in really great store locations. Um, so one of them is our Lager, the other ones are tropical paleo, and then we've got two collaboration beers, the Brock and Norman Monk. And um, for me, that relationship is has, has really been invested in from our end because they're good guys and they want yeah. the same thing we want and that started to blossom you know at a, at a really crucial juncture for us in terms of that that commercial outcome and then that allows you to kind of say well who else is the, the sort of partners that you, you want to work with in in the yeah. office we were lucky enough to have um pre-pandemic a i think quite a novel route to market which we called our office beer club where we would move beer to offices for beer beer fro or beer fridays or whatever yeah now was super successful. It was about 150 companies uh, across London I think mainly and um, so you had like Amazon and Twitter I think were over in the Innocence movies you know they were getting get cases and cases every single weekend, and obviously the pandemic comes and, and sort of destroys that a little
0: bit <laughs> Takes that um, market, yeah
1: yeah but there is you know that was that was thought of quite late on I think 2018 we thought of that but we thought well people order beer into offices hmm. offices like to be you know conscious about the social or green aspects of it why don't we actually try and market to them because it's probably too ill-defined for the big guys to play in and and it's probably big enough for us to to see the the dollar signs um, and and to see the 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 sort of flywheel benefits that that could that could provide so that was one of our focuses early on and and that was something that sort of we knew we could do really really well and so yeah
0: yeah, so lots of different routes to market. I mean, what's what's the best ever piece of advice that you've received in your time with Bouguida? <laughs>
1: There's probably lots, um, and I'll probably pick a corny one because it was the one that, that came to mind instantly, was that... So when I started social by the guy that found it, the guy called Josh, Little John... Um, I can see myself in him in very, very different ways. He just went for an idea that he saw in his head a cafe chain that could help, you know, at least make the lives of homeless people day to day a little bit better. Yeah. And then that grew into something that was radically transforming tens if not hundreds of people's lives a year. And the main thing that he said was just like, don't sweat it. just." keep moving towards the big thing and eventually you'll get there. And that's kind of paraphrasing how he would have how yeah. he would have put it. I think he his his term would have been think big and big, big things will come. I think that's pretty much spot on as to what he said. And that for me allowed me to think beyond just the immediate, you know, day to day headaches of, of starting a business and, and the, mm-hmm. the the worries and the fears that you still have, I guess, and um, that it might all collapse and be taken away tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that the constant moving on to the next big thing, the next big thing took us on an arc, which really we have no right to be the brand that we are, I don't think, within the market, given the lack of investment that's gone into this, given the the bad mistakes we made at the start, given you know the lack of experience in the energy, we have no right to be here. But somehow we are, and maybe that was because I was always taught at a very early age, I started working with him when I was twenty-three. To yeah. keep going and keep going and keep going and just think of if you had to do it bigger and better again, what would it look like? And yeah. so that's probably the, mo- the one that's either consciously or unconsciously probably pushed me in the, in, in the, in the furthest down the, the right
0: road. I suppose we do, don't we? As business owners, we all carry a lot of responsibility on our shoulders, and sometimes that can weigh heavy. And if you haven't got that vision of what you want to do or that dream of where you're going, and mm-hmm. you know you do start to sweat the small stuff then and you lose the what i would talk about which is the focus passion and belief in what mm-hmm. you want to do and why you're doing it and that's where the danger can come isn't it
1: yeah and i think that um that that sort of catches up with you i guess as an entrepreneur on a mental health level when mm. your friends aren't entrepreneurs yeah. you know, they don't have their own businesses they're in really stable really you know straight line progression rules or suddenly, you know they're buying houses and they're buying this and they're doing that and you're you're actually because you've got so much invested in the sweat equity of your company that you know you've got you don't have a lot to show for it from mm-hmm. a material point of view at least at the start or at least i haven't maybe i am doing it completely wrong but but there is something that you know that is down the line that will we'll all make that make sense and i think that mm-hmm. that's kind of the big the, the big thing that you have to sort of stop comparing yourself to other people and realize that what you're doing is, is pretty unique and pretty special, you know, not just Brewer, but you know, other people's businesses as well. So I think, yeah, trying to recenter and refocus on why it is that you're doing what you're doing and, and why that is special to you and why that can't be replicated by, you know, having a, a stage job, if you like, um, where as an individual that wouldn't fulfill me um, so much.
0: Yeah, great piece of advice. And I think clearly somebody that has had to overcome challenges and be resilient. So, where do you think your resilience comes from? And then that mental strength?
1: Um, I wouldn't call it. You know, I still have my you know, daily shit, this isn't going to work. And uh, so, I don't <laughs> think I'm that resilient trip at all. But I think if I had to see a model of resilience, it would probably be my mum. When I was uh, a little baby um, my dad passed away and she had to look after her three kids work two jobs sometimes three jobs to give us the level of the standard of living I guess that you would she would have expected to have with you know her husband yeah, providing it as well so but she never complained about that like she just did it right. and she just kept doing it and she did you know there was no it couldn't have been easy for her right but it was it was done with such a matter- of-factness that that just became what you the attitude that you had to adopt to things but she never ever would have said to us we have to do anything specifically we don't have to prove ourselves we don't have to do whatever you will enjoy if you do what you enjoy then that's good enough and I think that that, that balance between working hard and not you know not complaining and not saying, to complain is is a weakness but that that level of drive just to she had it in her head that she wanted a certain quality of life for her kids and that was the thing that kind of pushed her on and and kept her going but then that pressure that she internalized I guess give us a freedom where she didn't have any demands on us and I think that that allowed me to certainly experiment and do and do different things. And, you know, whenever I complain about my work or life or whatever, I just kind of catch myself on and think, well, you know, your, your mum's had far more challenges than, than you ever had yeah. to deal with. And, and, and it's still there and it's still, you know, stronger than ever.
0: Yeah, true inspiration for you and a remarkable woman by the sound of it. You have okay. done that, but you have done that and not exerted pressure on you because too many people with kids may have done that but then have exerted the pressure on the other side and mm-hmm. just let you all, all, all three of you obviously to be yourselves which is mm-hmm. which is great it's fantastic what a remarkable lady um when you now employ people mm-hmm. what qualities do you look for in them and do you look for different qualities do you think because you are a social enterprise uh yeah that's a good
1: question, actually. Um, I think when we employ people and when we get it right, okay, um, the people that we employ have the same vision that we have. Mm. Like they see why this is special, I guess, or why we think it's special on the same terms. And I think that's really, really powerful because, you know, we put in a, a job offer for a pretty senior, I mean, a very senior role, a role that is going to be thankless, you know, it was going to be hard work for the next two, three, four, five years. And we got people who were really, really talented, really, really good at what they did, had loads of experience. And the first thing they always said about why, you know, it attracted, brother attracted them was the chance to give back. And for me, I was like, that mindset's horrendous. We're not giving back, we're paying forward. Like we're going, we're moving that way. We're not, you know, kicking it, you know, if we'll take the afternoon off because we're doing a nice thing. Like that drive to, to almost see what we're doing in a, in a different way as, as a project to build rather than as something you do at the end of your career, for me, is, is, is massive. And I think that's why we've always employed, until recently, you know, people who are younger or are our age, because they've got the idealism of it. Now whenever we go to employ people, it's, it's it's a mixture of just their personality, their ability to see that is probably the, the entry level, yeah. their experience, obviously what they can what they can bring to the team. But then I think there's also something about if you like energy, like I think energy is the currency of leadership. And I think that it would be very, very hard to be a great leader, if you like, if you don't draw the same energy reserves from the people that are around you. And I think that people have personalities that, you know, they they can work with different people well. And no one would ever, you know, you don't get a personality test. And if you flunk it, you you can't get through the door. But I think there is something in, in, you know, can I work with this person? Do they see the same thing that I see? Do they have the experience? And actually, would it be great just to, to, to build a relationship with this person and i think that you're surprised that the type of people that you build relationships with mm. if, if that makes sense yeah cause so you've got to have
0: diversity haven't you you've got to have a diversity of mix of people in personality types so yeah t- totally. if, you, if you recruit everybody that's just like you it's exactly, never going to work but you've got to have that diversity of personality but you've got i love that can you build the relationship is a different question, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. And for me, like we're building the relationship, if you like me and James used to hire people like me and James, right? Yeah. Almost entirely. Like they might not have been, you know, working class or middle class white guys, you know, that went to university they might be the female equivalent of me, but now we're starting to hire people who are just like, not us, you know, they're they're almost specifically not us or almost consciously not us. Because they bring something that's, that's, that's great, and it's not about like you say seeing yourself, you know, or or having diversity for the sake of diversity. It's like, okay, can I imagine learning from that person? And there's somebody you know I won't um, embarrass her by naming her or embarrass the rest of the team, but you know, someone who's not the same age as me, not the same gender, doesn't have the same you know ethnic background to me at all, and in many ways we have no common shared life experience. Mm-hmm you know, almost, you know, down to really, really minute details. But the work kind of a relationship we have is just one of complete openness, complete trust, complete acknowledgement of what makes us different, and we're, we're thriving as a result of that, I think, anyway, and I think she would agree. So it's, it's, it's multifaceted. I let people do the recruitment, if you like, the finding the finding who's good and who's bad, or, you know, not who's bad, who's good at, you know, this and and, and for me then it's about if I trust the, the people who put these people in front of me, it is about that energy, it is about that um, personal chemistry and connection and that doesn't mean people who look like you, that can mean the people who are opposite to you, but that friction or, not friction, but that you know coming together can, can create energy and I think that the energy is what you need to, yeah. to lead your team and if you don't have that energy then you're, you're not going to be around for long.
0: Brilliant piece of advice there. As we start to wrap up, I just wanted to touch on um, B Corps. Um, yes. you are B certified. Uh, yeah. and, you know, that is a growing trend within the UK. You know, it's come across in the States, but a lot more of our clients or businesses that we talk to at Evolve are thinking about becoming uh, B Corp certified. Uh, yeah. Again, words of advice and wisdom. You've been a B Corp and, and recently had you know quite a accolade put on you as a result so any tips of words and advice
1: uh yeah so i think that uh, we got uh, an award for being what was it best for the world and and we didn't realize until later on that that was it we over indexed in a community you know score because of the work that we do in in the water projects and stuff Um, and the exciting thing was that that was effectively last year's um award that was almost held okay. with the coronavirus till next year. And it turns out we actually wanted the year before that as well, which we didn't realize because <laughs> we just weren't paying attention. But anyway, enough humble bragging. But um, for me, the, the B Corp experience has been one where I actually had to be convinced of it by a colleague. I, I used to think, why would we throw our lot in with, like, you know, hmm. I don't know big companies that want to be seen to be better. Yeah, is it um, just
0: the badge? Is it just yeah, the badge wanna type
1: thing? Yeah. And listen, I was I was in that camp. I felt, you know, I was a young guy, I was a bit of a martyr. you know, like we we're doing more than any of those businesses could we started. And then I, it was explained to me by a colleague Zoe who basically just said like, yeah, but you can say all the things that you want, but unless somebody else is saying that that's true then it doesn't mean anything and i think that way of explaining it was actually okay this makes sense it's almost like somebody's going to check what you're doing versus what you say you're doing and effectively score you against the continuum of other businesses which you're doing the same and once i realized that it was actually this is super healthy this is really good this is not just a, you know a sticky plaster this is something that people can it, whether it motivates with a carrot or a stick. For people to get to do business better i guess and to focus on areas where doing the right thing can have you know big outcomes for people for planet for you know uh, for your workers whatever that has been a really awesome experience and it's, i've seen loads of, of, of beer brands and loads of um, companies get b corp certified and it's it's great like i think it, as long as it maintains its high standards and um it's credible has the chance, I think, to move from being a good thing that from a business to business point of view, where you can say, oh, that brand's this or whatever, all the way through to what effectively fair trade was, which was like it broke through into the mainstream of of consumers. Mm -hmm. And I think if that can happen, then that's awesome because it comes full circle because then you can actually, as a a business or as a consumer, look at something and say, well, that must meet standards that I would apply if I had the resources to apply them to to Mm -hmm. every brand that I came across.
0: Brilliant. Great articulate answer there. So my final question, it's called the evolve to succeed podcast. Alan. Uh, what does success to mean to you? What's your personal definition of success? So this is
1: super, super personal, but, um, I think my dad passed away when he was 38, um, and I've got about seven years to go on that. Um, my idea of success is that if i got to that age and for whatever reason that was it that i was happy with the person the you know business success like if i could leave it all in the field and try to do the thing that i wanted to do if there was no barriers that would be success for me if that made sense so you know not necessarily a car and a big house and all these types yeah, of things. just the
0: material things at all, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying you don't need them, but I'm just saying, like, wouldn't it be cool if you tried to do something that, that actually was m- more like you than any other path, I yeah. guess, and that doesn't mean success at the end of it. No one hands you a check or no one hands you an award to say yeah. you are successful, but could I get to the age of 38 uh, or 39 and say, actually, with that half of my life, I've done cool stuff and the rest is kind of a bonus and that's
0: why I kind of look at things to Brilliant. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very personal definition of success. Um, so if people want to learn more about you, Alan, and more about BrewGooder, where can they go? Yeah, there's not much more to learn about me, I don't think. Um,
1: but if you want to learn about BrewGooder, uh, you can go to brewgooder.com um, and you can check out what we're up to you can check out our beers and if you have if you can pop along to your local co-op then you can grab some of the beers and hopefully the weather keeps up or is good when you're listening to it and you can yeah. drink outside in the
0: sunshine definitely go on listeners go to the website order some beer enjoy it in your garden in the sunshine thank you alan you've been a great guest on the evolve to succeed podcast
1: thank you so much
0: What a great example Alan is of a founder whose original principles are not just words on a piece of paper, but something concrete and ongoing. I love that he doesn't necessarily feel the need to define what the drive for social change is, but rather that he's simply part of the DNA of Brugada. I also thought what Alan said about being authentic and comfortable with your own voice and what you stand for, rather than comparing yourselves to other businesses and others, is a really important piece of advice. With the rise of the B Corp and companies such as Brugoda, there's definitely a trend of businesses, especially startups, being very specific about ensuring what they're selling is contributing towards something greater and more notable than merely profit. And I'm excited to see this happening. If you want to know more about B Corps, then you can listen to a previous episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast, which we did with Annie Tallboys in April. It's definitely worth understanding what this is all about as there's no doubt that companies with a solid and transparent social purpose are not only increasingly important in today's world, they're also starting to gain a competitive edge and advantage over less socially aware brands. Thank you for listening and if you do want to learn more about Evolve then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can register there for our weekly insights and newsletter as well as learn about the services that we offer at Evolve including our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, courses for teams, as well as our lovely co-working space at Nashley Crossing Pool. And if you are a business leader in Dorset and Hampshire, then I'm really excited to be able to say that through the Dorset LEP and the Solent LEP, we have some fully funded peer network and peer group programs that we can offer to you. So if you want to learn more, again, go to the website or please call the team. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing and listening to future episodes. Thank you for listening.